Welcome to Babel Undone, a podcast created by Premier in partnership with Archbishop Joseph D'Souza and the Good Shepherd Church of India. Bishop D'Souza is a renowned Christian intellectual and civil rights activist from India who leads the Good Shepherd Movement and the All India Christian Council. And I'm Johnny Moore, an American evangelical who serves as the president of the Congress of Christian Leaders and JDA Worldwide. We live in an interconnected world where the questions are complex. So on every episode of Babel Undone, Bishop D'Souza and I aim to bring the global church together in conversation about an important issue facing everyone. And we do it from different perspectives. Bishop comes from the East and I come from the West. So naturally, we meet in London. Uh, Bishop, what are we going to talk about today? Getting justice right. One of my favorite passions and long life, uh, lifelong interests, getting justice right, Johnny. We are going to talk about how the church fulfills the whole mission given to us by Jesus himself, how our perspective on mission can be better shaped by the diversity of the church, and what we get right and how we need to adjust some things when it comes to the church's approach to justice. We have an incredible guest to discuss all of this with. She's incredible indeed. Her name is uh, Mek Des Hadis, and she's the author of A Just Mission, uh, laying down power and embracing mutuality. In 2020, she founded Just Missions, an online community that, that elevates the diaspora voices of the church and equips their Western allies to become mutual partners for the work of the gospel around the world. Uh, she's originally from Ethiopia. She moved to the United States in 2003 to pursue her education. And now she's the project director of the Racial Justice and Reconciliation Collaborative for America's National Association of Evangelicals. Thanks for joining us, Mekdes. We are looking at uh, the subject that you have addressed in your work, in your book. We know you, but our audience is diverse and global, so not everyone knows your story and who is, you know, Mekdes. Mm-hmm. They, a lot of them may not even pronounce your name correctly. Am I doing doing it correct? <laughs> You're doing it just fine. Yes, okay. it's Megdis. <laughs> so, so if uh, if they asked who is uh, Megdis Hadis, how would you describe your story in a few sentences and let them know who you are? Sure, uh, Megdis is a child of God, um, chosen to wow. follow Him at a young age. Um, and really um, followed him all the way to America. Um, I tell people I was born and raised in Ethiopia and came to know the Lord. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, but my faith became my faith when I was 16. Hmm. And it really transformed my life. Um, After that, I just describe it as a light bulb came on into my heart and it just never came turned off. It's always been bright. And so that, I just followed that light wherever he led me. And so loving Jesus, knowing him and following him um, led me across the ocean to leave everybody I knew and loved behind and then trust in the path that he had for me. I wanted to learn more about him and learn about his ways. So I went to pursue, you know, to study in a Christian school. Um, and that's where God really transformed my life spiritually. But also I experienced such a an interesting um, cultural dynamic because of where I come from and how mm. people saw me. 
and how I saw myself. And so that actually really um, set me on a path of figuring out now that God has called me to be a disciple in the U.S., you know, and serve him in the U.S., now I have to understand how to reach the people that, you know, he's called me to serve. And I found that the people he's called me to serve uh, live in pockets of black and white and Hispanic and all kinds of, you know, uh, racial categories. So that really um, set my, you know, my my ministry into really understanding race and racial justice and reconciliation. Um, and so that's where I am right now. I'm also a wife to my husband, Ermi. Uh, we've been married for 11 years. Uh, we have two beautiful kids, nine and 11. Um, we live in the Charlotte, uh, North Carolina area. And I work for the National Association of Evangelicals as a racial justice and reconciliation uh, director. Um, and I'm the author of A Just Mission. Um, so that's who I am in short. Um, Mectus, uh your name means, again, what? Child of God. Child of God. Um, means temple of God. Temple of God. Temple look of at, God. Look, yes. at, look at that. <laughs> this is... Um, uh, was this just your 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 parents, or in my mm-hmm. in my experience traveling around, um, uh, you know, I've I've encountered a lot of Nigerian Christians, for instance, that all have these beautiful names like blessing, and mm-hmm. um, it's like they uh, um, the Bible um, it plays a very very important role in the naming of yes. of, of children. And is that is that the case with your family? Or are you just uh, uh, and, and yeah. tell us about that element among among sure. African Christians? Yeah, absolutely. That's such a great question. I love getting asked that. Um, yeah, it's a prophetic way of naming your children. So in wow. Ethiopia, it's you know traditionally an Orthodox uh, Christian uh, country. Majority of the population is Christian, and really our culture is theologically influenced. Even when we say good morning, we say um, the the answer is Xavierim Mesken, which means blessings be to God. Wow. So that's kind of how you respond, whether you're a believer or not. Um, and so when parents name their children, they are actually pro- prophesying over them, like the type of life they desire for them. And so, yeah, my name is uh, Temple of God. And it's like the Holy of Holies, you know, in the temple. That's what Mekdes means. And uh, yeah. So, so it's it's a it's a big name to live up to. <laughs> Bishop, we could like end the conversation right now, and uh, we've achieved the goal of this podcast. I that, mean that that's right. that is like that is such a blessing um, to mm-hmm. to hear, and I think a lot of people, as we build this bridge between the East and the West, um, I'd love to see a lot more Christians um, think about uh, when they name their children. I mean, this idea of like prophetically naming your naming your mm-hmm. children. I mean, this is. Uh, um, wow, I mean that's really, really incredible. It's part of their culture, which we honor, which we should uh, cherish. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Magdis, uh your journey into a just mission. Uh, you wrote the book. We have read the book. How has the response been? Because you are touching a lot of hot button issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me say that a lot of the issues that you touch resonate around the majority world. So, yes. but I'm concerned about how it resonates within American culture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I can say I've been 
very favored by God, honestly, the po- the positive outweigh some of the negative responses. Um, and it's been so beautiful, especially for people of color who are believers and are trying to, you know, carry the gospel around the globe. They've said to me over and over again, it's like you wrote my story or mm-hmm. I feel seen, you know, so that's just brought such a um, a joy to me that, that, you know, that's such a great reward uh, to hear that. But also for most mission organizations really understand and are grappling with um, this issue. They just may not be ready to accept it, but they do understand this is a problem. And so for the most part, uh, even if most people are not maybe celebrating, <laughs> uh, you know, the book, they they are thinking this is something we need and we need to wrestle with. So a lot of the conversation has been how can we implement this um, and it's really opened up such great doors for me to be able to work with uh, mission organizational leaders to start thinking about, you know, how do we talk about this and how do we challenge uh, the typical Western way of doing missions um, and how can we change, you know, some of the ways and our methods. Um, I think the heart is not what is at question here. It's the method. Um, and I think when you know we have the conversations the book you know could come off strong because they're not having a conversation with me but also sometimes you have to say difficult things to change the tide otherwise people just kind of ignore you um but i think once we we start having conversations it's been a really positive response and i've been really grateful what are some of the lessons like this that the the western church should uh, should learn from um the majority, the majority church uh, around the world, whether yeah. they're uh, members of diaspora communities or or outside of the United States or Europe, um, what what are the lessons? Some lessons the West should learn from the rest. Yeah, I would say the biggest one is that there are already um, empowered uh, missionaries around the world who are doing God's work faithfully. I think that's the biggest lesson um, that needs to be just accepted as a fact you know i think for the most part the narrative we hear in the west is that we need to go and rescue you know the world because we're like they're dying or they don't have the theological capacity to reach their people and that is a false narrative that needs to be corrected and there needs to be a respect and a mutuality for the work that god is already doing around the globe. I think it speaks a lot to how little we think about God in the West to assume that everything we do depends on, uh, everything uh, he does depends on our ability to go. He actually has, you know, he owns the world. He has a powerful and capable people around the world who are doing the work. So what I want the West to grasp is the ability to walk alongside of the majority church mutually and lead by listening and lending a helping hand wherever the leaders say they need a hand is the best and most important way you know uh to to work together in your in your uh book uh this you you refer i don't know whether you support or don't support uh the word unreached peoples. That's been a very mm. problematic word for us who are in the majority world, 
who live in yeah. the Hindu, Muslim, and even the African world. Uh, mm-hmm. We are not unreached by God. Uh, yeah. Ever since Jesus came, God has been in our midst. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this assumption, assumption that we don't have God and we now need to take God is probably uh, one of the biggest stumbling blocks, don't you think, in how uh, gospel Absolutely. witness and preaching has been done? Absolutely. I agree. Um, God, I mean, you know, I think, again, I go back to the theology that I learned here in the West. And it, it, it does say, you know, when you talk about who God is, that he created heaven and earth, that he displays himself in nature and, you know, he reaches the hearts of men. He's calling people to himself. That's already God reaching, you know, his people all across the world. Hmm. I think what the what we get wrong is the role of the disciple, which is to go and, you know, the Great Commission says, go and make disciples of all the nations. It doesn't say, go and introduce them to me. He has already introduced himself to his people. What we need to do is share the message of the gospel that Christ has made a way for us to be reconciled with the creator. And so that is the job of the the disciple. That's the only thing that we're supposed to do. So this concept of the unreached undermines who God is and the work that he is has been doing for, you know, generations and generations before us and that he will do after us. Uh, so I completely agree with that. I, I don't think unreached is a, the appropriate term to use towards um, different groups of people. And if we want to use the unreached term, we can use it here in the West as well. I can categorize groups of people and say this is the unreached as well. So I think it's more of a, a honestly, a polarizing term. To yeah, use and a pejorative word, uh, word which yes. again says, okay, the West is reached. Really? Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and, and so, yes. Uh, this is great because we need to change. Part of the problem in the global justice work is our language itself miscommunicates, and we need to change the yes. language in the mission community. Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a big difference I, I've learned wandering around the world between um, what we say and what is heard. Ooh. And and I, I, I think a lot of times we're, we're sort of speaking to ourselves um, and yes. we're not paying attention to the fact that other people are listening in and what they hear when they say these things. And when you when you couple that with things like, you know, where, I mean, where you are, uh, Bishop, it, it's like totally absurd that people think that uh, Christianity is a um, a colonial enterprise when the Apostle Thomas was martyred mm-hmm. in South India. I mean, it, Christianity is 2000 years old in, in India. And yet because of the decision of people, because of language that was used, because of the commingling of governments and, and, and religion at a different time in history. Um, when we say certain things in India, it's a flashback um, to a part of history that, um, mm. you know, where, um, uh, where, where religion um, was troublesome. And Magnus, I, uh, because of how the gospel, I mean, Africa has had the gospel before anybody else, and the roots of the Christian yes. faith is in Africa. I, and I mm-hmm. celebrate that, the early church fathers and all. But because of what's happened in the last 200 years, uh, we find this in the global south, in Asia, China, etc. The The construct of the gospel has come from the West. And mm-hmm. our people are also brainwashed in thinking that way. Yes. So h- mm-hmm. how do you do the 
unlearning of this within our own peoples mm. in Ethiopians you know because they also have in like you you came in and you got into these categories then you had to review not many have that privilege to sit back and exactly. say uh, uh, how, how how do i get off it how do you do it with ethiopians uh, out there yeah that's a great question i mean um i don't know if i have the answer yet i'm still figuring it out because um because if i didn't have the opportunity to come as an ethiopian evangelical christian um and then go to an evangelical space and serve and then realize oh these people still see me as an outsider like mm. they're the owners of this space i wouldn't have realized that that was the case right and so i had to do a lot of learning of history oh my goodness oh it's not that the global church is just um expecting me to come home to them you know so we can join hands and do god's work together they kind of saw me as the outsider mm. the one that cannot be trusted you know let's be let's take it easy with this one let's just kind of have her around so that experience is what made me realize what is traditionally mine for my people because i can't import something so foreign to my people and expected to take off like wildfire. And a lot of the problem we're having with the mission movement is because there's this uh, demand basically to take and impose what's worked in the West into different contexts. Whereas for example, if we take Ethiopia as an example, what a missed opportunity that the West is not working with the Orthodox Church to see yeah. how they can contextualize, you know, the gospel. I'm not saying the Orthodox Church doesn't have its own issues, but we all do. You know, yeah. all the churches, all the denominations do. But the disregard and the neglect of trying to build bridges with them shows me that this is more of a power dynamic rather than an attempt to spread the gospel by any means necessary. And so that's why really I talk about historically how the gospel, you know, has been carried with a, a symbol of oppression and imperialism, because there's that part, you know, that 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 has taken um, the focus from truly connecting with other believers around the world. The deep traditions, uh, the valuable tradi traditions of solitude and being alone yeah. with God and all, uh, we respect that. And so to find a bridge to that is going to be very critical mm -hmm. as as history moves us on. Right, Magdis? Absolutely. Yes, I think those are such important traditions to hold on to. Um, I would also add the fast, you know, like the Ethiopian Orthodox Church has seasons of fasting um, that they do as like as a country, you know, that people participate in. And I remember growing up always feeling left out. I wanted to be a part of that experience. <laughs> but it's just such a beautiful way of expressing love and reverence to God, you know, as a whole body, as a community, as a country for people to worship him and remember him in that way. I think those are very valuable traditions um, we can learn from. So I, I, I don't want to miss an opportunity, Bishop, um, to talk to McDess about um, dealing with the challenges of race uh, in the, in the mm. church. Um, and I, I think a, a good way to maybe begin is to ask, um, what sort of shocked you uh, coming from the majority world into the United States about the way 
um, and this podcast is global. It's not, it's an mm-hmm. American audience is only a small, small portion of it. But um, how is race a part of the religious political dynamics in America uh, in a way mm-hmm. that's maybe different from other parts of the, and, and what should the church do about it? Yeah, I think, you know, and obviously when I was in Ethiopia, I've seen different uh, types of people, different colors, you know, different nationalities. But the way that we interact with them was based on where they're from. So there was just a curiosity and desire to learn about their culture, to eat their food, to learn about the music they listen to, what type of sport is popular in your context. When I came, I expected the same to be offered to me. And what was different here was people, first of all, by looking at me, they see a black woman, therefore they assume I am an African-American woman, uh, you know, from America. I, I don't have an accent, like a thick Ethiopian accent. So that automatically just takes away the privilege of being treated as a foreigner. Um, and then being an African-American woman in America by itself is a whole culture, you know, that I had no idea about. So to be automatically associated with a culture that I didn't know about left me alone, mm. right? Because that that was it like i couldn't be a black woman culturally because i didn't know what that meant it was a racial bias and a racial issue that the outsider has no as a global christian i had no context to um and so for me to try and find community uh be a part of you know a christ following community i had to do a lot of work of understanding that their cultural orientation and how they see people through race to be able to play a role that wasn't really mine to play. Like I wasn't a part of this whole deal. Uh, So it's almost kind of being brought into a dysfunctional family, maybe marrying into one. And you're like, what have I gotten myself (laughs) into? You know, I don't know who to be because you guys are super dysfunctional And I don't know, like the context does not make sense to me. So I'm just going to sit here and, you know, just watch and learn and then eventually uh, try to play a healthier part because you know better, you've seen better. Um, So really, that's what brought me into the work that I do. Um, Yeah. So so what should we do? How (laughs) how can we help? How can, uh, you know, each of us in our individual context and... Yeah, I think obviously, first and foremost is believe people's stories, you Mm. know, listen to uh, what people are saying and believe them. I think there's a tendency because politics has already shaped our perspectives and polarized us from one another. We don't even have the compassion to listen to a fellow Christian story and believe it. So I think the, the, uh, the fact that Jesus is... Uh, my savior, God is my father, should be enough for a white Christian to who also believes in God and considers themselves a follower of Christ to say there's a sisterhood or a brotherhood here that I will believe the story of the church rather than the story of politics or whatever's coming out. So I think we can start there. If we move closer to one another, then we will stop demonizing one another. And I think we will be able to work towards the other bigger issues together. But we can't do it apart. Uh, We got to first move towards one another and build trust. And make this uh, 
you know, don't you think, especially America, because there's such, you know, they have so many blacks and so many whites who are all mm-hmm. Christians and then all these immigrants. If, uh, if America gets it right in terms of a visible de- uh, demonstration of uh, what I call the new humanity in Christ, black, mm-hmm. white, everybody come together, that living out itself and demonstration will have massive impact around the world yes. in terms of the kingdom of God. You know, people will see and believe even if nobody goes out, they're saying, how does this work in America? Uh, mm. That people of races and this and 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 uh, America is a melting pot of many races, and there is an opportunity. Instead of seeing this as an obstacle, there's an obstacle uh, opportunity as a kingdom to show uh, how, how this works. Um, do you have many whites working with you on this reconciliation stuff? Yes, absolutely. Um, And I agree with the statement that I think if America gets it right, then I think we'll be pretty uh, set to do the work in the global context because there's no denying the power uh, that America has, whether it's financial influence, whatever it may be. Um, And I think that's why this is such an important, you know, work to do as a Christian. even to influence global mission, the American church has to get racial justice and reconciliation right. Uh, otherwise, we won't be sending equipped and, um, you know, capable missionaries around the world. They'll be doing more damage than good. So I absolutely, and I will say yes, uh, you know, with the work that I'm doing with the NA, yes, it is a lot of white people, but a lot of black and uh, Asian and, you know, um, Latino and Native American, all kinds of diverse groups of people who have come together and said, this is something that we want to do together. Um, So it's encouraging. The incredible thing about the NAE in the United States, um, and and full disclosure, I was on the board until I termed out. You can only serve for nine years. So it's the problem of being young when they put you on the board. (laughs) um, But the NAE uh, uh, chairman is um, one of America's most well-known black pastors, um, yes. the, uh, or the chairman is uh, a woman, um, Joanne Lyon, you know, who led the Wesleyan Church. Uh, the vice chair is one of America's um, uh, best-known black, black pastors. Uh, and the president is uh, a Korean-American. And so you now have the National Association of Evangelicals uh, led by this incredible, incredible diverse group and, and this initiative bringing you in, um, mm-hmm. uh, along with Dr. Lyon and Pastor Jenkins, uh, and Dr. Kim uh, is is an incredible one, but I can just this is the hardest thing for me. For me, um, I can bring peace between Israelis and Palestinians all day long. <laughs> send me to the send me to the Arab world. We'll have peace between Israel and Saudi Arabia. You know, in the next uh, in the next eighteen months, no no problem. But when it comes to the divisions in the West, I mean, it is un. But these aren't wars, but the trust yeah. is so so low yeah. And, yeah. And, and and we pick it up pick it up around the world uh, yeah. through social media and all that trust is everything is everything is politicized make this yeah. before i forget and since he mentioned national association of evangelicals many years ago the nae under leet anderson and others we had a meeting with them in washington they they put out a statement of uh, solidarity with the Dalits mm. uh, 
You heard you heard about the Dalits at all, Magdis? Yeah, uh, they used to call them the untouchables. Untouchable yeah. outcast. Oh, that <laughs> I've heard. Yes. Yeah, three hundred million of them. When you get the time, mm-hmm. go there and uh, you know, uh, in their archives and look at that thing. Sure. Because along with the racial issue, the caste issue is really the largest human racial issue in the world, and that's mm-hmm. been going on for two thousand years. And it's it's great to meet a fellow uh, traveler in the same direction, isn't it, John? It is an mm. incredible, and and actually that makes all the difference. I think when we work together on issues of mutual concern, because it's just it's very very hard um, to be divided when you know someone. And I love that you reminded us to listen. And and uh, mm. maybe uh, one last question, and we'll listen to you for just a second, um, sure. uh, Mectus, if. Uh, if God can answer one prayer for you, and mm. it was an automatic yes, uh, what would it be? Um, I would say what is in First Corinthians um, twelve, where it talks about um, the parts that are unpre- uh, unpresentable are treated with special modesty, you know, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. So, you know, this idea where the church kind of shuns a part of the body because uh, we see them as weaker and indispensable. But then what I would want to see is that we recognize you know, the the beauty that they bring to the functionality of the body, because without them, we won't be able to function appropriately. So that is really my prayer and, you know, my desire that I ask the Lord. And I think that can be achieved only if we are able to do this work of racial justice and reconciliation. And if we're able to listen to the diaspora, especially that is around the globe, that is advocating for the global church um but because of our biases we're not able to see one another so that is my prayer is first corinthians 12 like 20 21 through 28 or so where it talks about you know bringing the beauty of the the ones that we saw as weak as strong and um indispensable we we yes we see you we hear you we believe you we thank God for you and, and we make, join, make, and make join you in that prayer we join Amen. you in that prayer yes Amen. Amen. Amen yeah what a delightful young lady I am thrilled about this next generation I tell you that's exactly how I I felt um, listening listening to her and um I mean things change because of leaders and uh, those leaders um, are those who are willing to tell us the truth. And the best ones are willing uh, to tell us the truth um, with the type of empathy that we just heard in that in that conversation. And that was that was really, really powerful. When she said we have to listen to the stories of believers, of fellow believers and believe them, you know, and I, I think uh, I don't think we're good at either one of those yes. <laughs> things, Bishop. I don't think we listen. And I and I think we're always uh, we're always questioning. We're questioning people's motives. We're questioning their experience, their yeah. suspicions, yeah. All, all of these things. And it takes somebody like her who is really not a white, no part of the black experience to come from outside and be an observer in what's been going on in America and and feeling some of that stuff the blacks have felt, but not really responding with the same kind of 
deep hurt and pain or figuring out, okay, how does this gospel work? That, that makes it very beautiful. And I, I commend National Association of Evangelicals, great friends, that they have put her in charge of this uh, uh, work on justice and reconciliation. It just shows to me that the NAE has come a long way since uh, I knew them. You know, and it's not like we didn't know um, this was going to be a problem. I mean, Jesus is on his way to the cross praying his final prayer. Um, he prayed that we would be one. I mean, he it, it was a it was a warning to us. This was how the enemy was going to get at us. And, and I, I think Jesus knew that uh, the gospel would be the greatest global movement in human history. Um, and the enemy wouldn't be able to destroy the resurrected power of Jesus Christ. Um, but the enemy could sure um, facilitate our destruction of 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 each other. Um, and, and Bishop, I actually had a question for you in 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 our conversation. You know, how how do you from the global south, from India? Um, I mean, how do you see this whole conversation uh, from where you are? You know, in the work that you do. Uh, I see at uh, as this whole thing that's going on in the West, especially in America, even as a defining moment, Johnny. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure we're getting it right. I have to be very honest. This is a ray of light like this and others we will be talking to. But if enough space is not done by the majority church in America, which has the power and the money and the structures... This is another defining golden moment we might miss. And and Christians have been, I'm sorry, stupid, not knowing what God is doing. Mm. It's God who is doing this in America, all this churning. And people may be very upset about this polarization, hatred and all. But something is being done. Even even chaos uh, is an instrument of God. And uh, out of the chaos, he wants to bring order. So my prayer is for the American church and the Western church. Get it right. Wouldn't it be great, you know, if the what I call the mission industrial complex, <laughs> sorry <laughs> to use that word, that's what it has become, in board after board after board and leadership after leadership and leadership, we had diverse people, hmm. not just one majority. Now, I've been on this board, so, and I see, man, why are they not? They, they're all there in America. You don't have to go anywhere else. Mm. You can bring. A big dam has to burst, and this change has to happen. Mm. And when this change happens, I think our God's name will be glorified. And to, to borrow the uh, the title of Mekdes Hadis's book, uh, that is A Just Mission. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us today for Babel Undone. If this conversation had you thinking, then why don't you share it with someone else? For more episodes of Babel Undone or other amazing content that helps Christians live out their faith, you should head over to premiere.plus. That's premiere, P-R-E-M-I-E-R, for the Americans listening in, dot plus.